Hey guys, this is Luke Hazelmeyer. The podcast you're about to listen to is called Relationships and Revival. Hope you enjoy. Hello everybody, good morning. My name is Luke, welcome. Welcome to those who are on the live stream. So I want to talk this morning about relationships and revival. You can turn to Acts chapter 4 if you want to follow along in your own Bible. But we've been in this series where we've been examining, perhaps you could call it the first revival in the Christian church, which is the formation, the rise of the early church. And since then, there have been tons of revivals and moves of God, and we believe that there is another one coming. It seems like whenever um, the world or our nation goes through a a really hard time, a traumatic time, that God has a response to that. And so we're doing this series, we're, we're learning principles about how to steward um, moves of God or revivals, how to really engage with them in order to be prepared for when it happens. So when you look at moves of God that have happened throughout history, what do I mean when I say a move of God? It's Really what I'm talking about is where God is especially active in a place and time. And it just seems like the people that are a part of it are more effective and impactful in their ministry. Tons of people get saved oftentimes. There are miracles and signs and wonders. Um, it's kind of what we're talking about when we say a move of God. And there have been plenty of moves of God that we can identify that have happened in history all throughout the world since the passage we've been going through this summer in the book of Acts. And with all of the good that you see in a move of God, unfortunately, there, is, there are also negative things that can happen in the midst of a move of God. Sometimes people get greedy in a move of God. And it becomes about money for them, unfortunately, the leaders of it. Other times people can get mixed up in power and love the feeling of being in charge of something that's really exciting and prosperous. All kinds of pitfalls. And one other one that I want to focus on this morning, one other unfortunate negative thing we see in Moves of God is relational breakdown. Unfortunately, when we take a deeper look at the various moves of God from history, it seems like relational breakdown between people is a relatively consistent and common theme. When I think about, there was a move of God in Canada, in Toronto, in the 90s, and like over 100,000 people visited the place. It was spectacular what was happening there. But what also happened at Toronto was the leaders of the movement, the Vineyard Movement, the leaders of that movement who started what happened there, and God started it, but who were there from the ground level of what happened in Toronto, they ended up separating and going, and going their own way, and their friendship dissolved. And so you see stuff like that. There was also a similar kind of move of God to the one I just mentioned in Lakeland in like 2008, Lakeland, Florida. And tons of powerful things happened there, but then it turns out that the leader of it 
left his wife and um, had, had an affair with his secretary and left his wife. And so you just see that there's oftentimes in these moves of God, there's these relational breakdowns. And it doesn't even have to be like a move of God to see an example of something where God is doing something really good, but relational breakdown is happening at the same time. For example, uh, years ago, I was talking to a guy who, um, he's a friend, he's a mentor, and he's probably about 12, 13 years older than me. We were on this retreat, and it just was he and I walking through the woods. I forget what we were doing, um, but we were like going on a hike, and we were talking, and he was asking me about a moose hunting trip that I went on with my dad that I had just done a couple years before, and, and it was just so much fun. Um, and uh, as we're talking, he's just kind of talking about how he dabbles in hunting a little bit. And so I just ask him innocently, like, hey, I mean, did you and your dad ever go hunting or do anything like that? And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. My dad never had time to do stuff like that with me. And the crazy thing about this was I knew his dad had been a lifelong pastor. And I just, unfortunately, I'd heard that kind of story before, and I've heard it many times since. It seems like a lot of people, really good, good-hearted people that are maybe even in ministry and pastoring and, and um, helping a lot of people find God, you look at their family life and it turns out they might have sacrificed their, their relationships with their family on the altar of ministry. And so it's just an unfortunate theme that you see. And then one last just example here. You also see this not even in the Christian world. You see people who are very successful either in business or music or the like, something like it. They're very successful, but when you look at the relation, the close relationships in their life, they're all a mess. And so why is that? What is going on here? I think a big part of why this happens, and not just in, again, it's, this, is, this is those that follow Jesus and those that don't follow Jesus. I think the reason this happens is that people lose they understand, they, they, their priorities get out of whack. So what should be a high priority becomes a lesser priority. And they begin to view relationships as acceptable collateral damage for some greater good. What's collateral damage? It's a military term, death, injury, or damage that is an unintended result of military operations. Um, when you think about that in the context I'm saying, it's, you kind of think about it as like um, injury or damage to relationships that is an unintended result of success or ministry or achieving or accomplishing. It is unintended, but it still happens. And it seems like it's just human nature, again, for those in and out of the church, it just seems like it's human nature to rationalize the neglect of a relationship in order to accomplish some feat. It just seems like that's something that happens over and over again. Now, I want to pause for a second and say that there is such a thing as healthy relational disconnection. There are times that it is healthy. So for example, it is healthy to relationally disconnect from someone when God is calling you to disconnect from them or circumstances outside of your control 
cause the disconnection. And so when, what's these bugs doing up here? Can you guys see that or do you think I'm just crazy? Um, <laughs> they're there, right? Okay. Um, sorry. So yeah, when, when relational disconnection is healthy or when it's, you know, maybe okay is a, is a word you can use, is when God's calling you to do it or circumstances make it happen. So for example, when I was in high school, I started smoking weed with some friends and God convicted me and I stopped doing it and I stopped hanging out with those friends. That was the right kind of, of relational disconnection. It's good that I didn't try to stay really close friends with those people. Um, not to say that you never do stay close friends with people who are a part of like your old life, but for me in that context, it was the right thing to do because God was calling me to do it. It's one of the things he told me. Uh, also, I, have, I had college friends that I was really close with while in college, but then I stayed in Ohio and some of them moved to Florida, some of them moved out of the country. And you know, you try to keep in touch, but that's an example where circumstances outside of my control kind of resulted in that relational disconnection. So that kind of relational disconnection, it, it's okay, and it can even be healthy sometimes. But when relational disconnection is unhealthy, it's because I have wrongly decided that something else is more important than the relationship, whatever it is. That's when it's unhealthy. So um, the person I told you about, his dad not spending time with him, not doing things with him, whatever led to that guy that I was telling you about, his perception that his dad didn't have time for him because he was too involved in ministry, that was an example, and I don't know all the facts, but from face value, that was an example of a time where someone wrongly decided that this thing is more important than the relationship. That's healthy and unhealthy. And so if... If you think about what God's primary purpose is for us, if God's primary purpose for me is to be in relationship with me, like if God sees nothing more, he sees nothing to be more important than, than he and I being in relationship, no thing that I could do, no uh, kingdom work that I could accomplish, if relationship with him is the most important thing, then he's not going to let me off the hook for my relational dysfunction, even if it's leading to kingdom accomplishments. Um, and, you know, beyond, okay, and so, for example, like, I believe that God would rather see the progress of a huge megachurch come screeching to a halt than the woman or man leading it be disconnected from him. I really believe that like God is a God of relationship. And so we can't justify, oh, my relationships being harmed and neglected, that's just collateral damage for this kingdom work. That's not how God thinks. Um, even, uh, and so that's really important. Um, but even beyond that, it's so important that we learn to prioritize relationships because sometimes relational dysfunction in a move of God can actually re result in more long-term harm than good. And so I told you about that revival that happened in Toronto. I'm not going to say that I think that more harm came from that than good, but one thing I will tell you is that there was a major church split in the vineyard as a result of that. And tons of churches that could have received what God was doing in Toronto that are in the vineyard did not receive it. 
And I can't help but wonder, what if 500 more churches had, had been able to be deeply impacted by what God was doing there? What would be going on right now? And why did that not happen? Well, all of that stemmed back to a relational issue that was not handled well. And so this is really important that we prioritize relationship. And not just in moves of God, but in our lives. In our lives. So, let's dive into the the passage. We're in Acts 4, 23 through 31 this morning. And I just want to talk a little bit about what's going on. We're not going to read the whole thing. Um, But basically, if you remember last week, Van talked, shared the passage in Acts 4 about how Peter and John, after they had done an amazing miracle and preached to a crowd and seen tons of people start following Jesus, they were arrested and thrown before the Sanhedrin, the religious council, and questioned. And they passed their questioning with flying colors and their boldness shocked everyone that was around. And so when we pick up in verse 23, where we are this morning, Peter and John are coming back to their community. And what likely happened was as they came back, because such a significant thing had happened in them standing up to the Sanhedrin, the church probably called a prayer meeting to celebrate uh, with each other and to worship God. So church comes together, Peter and John share what happened, they start worshiping, they start praying, and the room physically shakes because of the presence and power of God that was tangible in the room. And after that, we read an interesting synopsis of the state of the relationships and the community of the church at that time. And that's where I want to pick up. So Let's read Acts 4, verses 32 through 35. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. So we read here that the early church, in this move of God they were in, they shared with each other in a profound way. And their relationships did not at all seem to be like the ones that I mentioned earlier in other moves of God. You know, in many moves of God, like we've talked about, relationships seem to suffer. But in this passage, it seems like their relationships were thriving. And the constant theme here was this idea of sharing. Now, when I think about sharing, I think about like the virtue of sharing. I think it's something that we usually teach to kids, right? It's kind of like kids learn that, you know, sharing is caring, that whole deal. And you teach kids to share, and then you become an adult, and you don't think about sharing as much. I don't know if, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I don't know if if that's how you see it, but that's kind of how I've seen it. And, 
And so sharing, is, it's, 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 I don't know, it just kind of sounds like a, you don't teach adults sharing, you teach kids sharing. It's kind of the way I've thought about it. But when you think about it, sharing, when I share my time with you, or if I share my energy with you, or my possessions with you, or my money with you, or if I share my life, what, what I'm doing is I am sacrificing something of mine for your well-being. That's the heart of sharing. And so when you think about it, the virtue of sharing, so sharing as a concept, was actually the most important attribute of God for our eternal life. Like if God had just loved us and cared about us and adored us and delighted in us, but he, he never sacrificed for us, we'd all be on our way to hell. And so sharing or sacrificing for another's well-being is actually a critically important thing. And when I think about sharing with someone else, usually I think about sharing blessings, like sharing something I own, sharing my time, whatever. But I think if we only share the positive things with people that we're in relationships with, I don't think we'll actually have a healthy relationship with them, especially people that we're close with. I think we need to not only share the blessings, but we have to be willing to share our problems too. We gotta be willing to share the hard things, to share negative emotions. And I know that we usually don't wanna do that because it makes us feel weak or we feel guilty because we're like putting a burden on someone else or... Um, we feel vulnerable, but all of that is just the enemy trying to deceive us in order to destroy our relationships. Because if we're not open with people about what's hard as well, we're not going to have a strong, healthy connection with them. And so I think there's this narrative that we believe, um, at least I believe, maybe you haven't, but I have, that's just destructive to relationships. And the narrative is, unless you can't stand them, Keep your negative emotions to yourself. I think that's a narrative that I've at least believed at one point in time. If you're feeling hopeless, keep it to yourself so you don't bring other people down. But really, I don't think that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about sharing emotions. So my first point, um, I don't know how many I'll get to this morning, but my first point is that people who prioritize relationship share their emotions in a constructive way. And again, not just positive emotions, but negative emotions. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. I think this is a great passage where Paul talks about this. Verse 26 and 27 says this. Be angry. Everybody say, be angry. Be angry. Be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry, but don't sin. What's he saying? Express your negative emotions but don't sin as a result of them. He goes on, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So here's the deal. The sharing of negative emotions is actually crucial for relational health. Here's why. Um, well, actually, before I explain why, I do want to talk a little bit about, I'm not, when I say share emotions, I don't mean like, vomit your emotions on people or like bully people with your emotions, you know, because that obviously can happen. I'm sure all of us have experienced that 
at some point in our life. But when I uh, think about how we are called to like manage our emotions, I heard this great analogy once. I want to share it with you. Maybe you've heard it. That emotions are like a five-year-old. You can't put them in the driver's seat, but you also can't stuff them in the trunk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so emotions shouldn't be the thing that's driving our vehicle, okay? They shouldn't be in the driver's seat, but you can't just avoid them and ignore them and stuff them. You have to deal with them. And I think that's why Paul is saying, be angry. He's not saying suppress your anger. He's saying, be angry, but don't sin. And so I really, why is this? Why is it important to express our negative emotions? Uh, besides just the importance of vulnerability in a relationship, I believe that negative emotions are actually, like negative emotions in a relationship actually function in the same way that a fever does in a person's body, which I know, weird time to be talking about fevers, but <laughs> I really, I think it's a good analogy, so I'm gonna share it. I think that negative emotions are similar to a fever. What do I mean? So when a person is exposed to a virus or bacteria or something dangerous in the body, one of the things the body does in order to counteract that foreign harmful agent is you have a fever. And the fever heats up your body so that it kills the, you know, the disease or whatever it is. And so I think in the same, you know, and I think in the same way how we don't always, we, I mean, I don't think any, I've heard of anyone who enjoys having a fever, right? And the same way, I don't know if I've ever met someone who's like, I just love being hopeless. I just love being sad. You know, I don't think I've met someone like that. But I think those negative emotions, I think what they actually tell us is, hey, there's something in me or in our relationship that is off, that's actually harming the relationship, and we need to deal with it. It's kind of like an alarm to something wrong, and the proper way should we should respond to negative emotions is, I'm having these, now it's time to figure out why so we can grow. So, so yeah, um, people who prioritize relationships, they share their emotions, and again, in a constructive way, not, you don't bully people with your emotions, try to manipulate them with your emotions. Um, you, you express them, but you don't sin. And it's, it's so important for, for healthy relationships. So let's go on to the next, um, I'm going to skip a little bit here, so I'm going to take away some of the context at this point and just get right to it. People who prioritize relationships seek healing when they are hurt. So Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, we're not going to read it, but basically in Ephesians 4, Paul says, hey, put, oh, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander. Okay? Put away from you all bitterness. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to just like stop being bitter or just like grit your teeth and stop being mad? Doesn't, I mean, if you know how to do that that way, tell me afterwards. Because <laughs> when I just try to stop being mad, usually it ends up in me being frustrated and getting more mad. Um, but what I think uh, Paul is getting at, because he, he actually says this 
those verses I just kind of quoted to you, he says that right after he talks about being angry and not letting the sun go down on your anger and stuff like that. Um, What I think he's getting at is that in order to get free from the bitterness you're feeling in your heart, you first have to deal with the hurt that caused it. If you don't deal with the hurt that you experienced, whatever it was, it's going to be very hard to let go of bitterness and it's going to be very hard to forgive someone. So that's, I'm just going to stop there for um, that point. Um, Last point I'll make, people who prioritize relationship catch their offense and deal with it. (laughs) So let me just be totally real with you guys right now, okay? And um, I'm coming to you in humility because I was totally wrong for thinking the way that I am about to tell you how I thought. But when, uh, speaking of the pandemic and masks and fevers and COVID-19, when the order to wear masks first came out and I started to kind of see how people were responding to it, I got super offended. I got offended at people that didn't want to wear a mask. This is literally what I thought. This is not about your constitutional liberty. Like, this is just a threat to your ego. That's how I thought. And I, I experienced that trigger of offense two or three or four times until I realized, wow, what is going on in my heart right now? You see, when we get offended, all grace and mercy and love for people just goes like out of our mind. And all that's left is harshness and judgment and, and anger. And I brought it to the Lord and he's like, he, she, he uh, brought me to the Matthew 7 passage where it says, um, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye and not the log in your own? <laughs> and I realized, wow, I've been super judgmental. I've really judged people's hearts with that mindset and attitude. And, and I think that's an example of a time where I was, you know, after some, you know, sinning. sinning. It was sin, how I was thinking. Sinning for a little while, catching that offense and dealing with it. And the mercy and the grace he's put into my heart since then has been so good in my life. So would you stand with me? We're going to close here. I had a little bit more. Maybe I'll get to finish it later this summer. But (laughs) thank you. (laughs) So, Father, we want to be people that prioritize relationship because we know that it is critically important for the move that you're doing uh, that's, that's coming, for the revival that's coming. So would you stir in our hearts and show us how we need to apply the things that were said this morning? Um. We just, we, we just say we trust you with our relationships. Give us the right heart towards them. In Jesus' name, amen.